All right, welcome back. Another episode. We're going to be doing another Q&A episode today. We're looking at um, a whole bunch more of your questions, the common questions I get surrounding navigating deconstruction and the topic of deconstruction as a whole. Um, today's going to be very focused on family, relationships, things like that. Um, this is one of the most common areas that people um, find themselves with many questions, many uh, doubts and uncertainties for how to move forward, um, many conflicts and all kinds of things um, can come up in our relationships um, as we start to deconstruct. Uh, before we get started, as always, if you are going through deconstruction and your relationships have been affected, it's very likely that you find yourself with less people in your life that you can connect with on an um, intimate level, like on a level where they really know what's going on in your life because sharing what's really going on in your life can cause all kinds of problems. Um, and so the deconstructionnetwork.com is a completely free resource that helps you connect with other people that have gone through or are going through the process of deconstruction in your local area. And so there's great communities online for people to connect with other people that are going through deconstruction, but there's not much like having a friend to go to the pub or to a coffee shop or go for a walk or have come around to the house and just process with and just share openly, freely, completely where you are, to laugh, to cry, to do everything else in the middle. Um, that can be such a meaningful and helpful thing to have in the process of deconstruction. And so if you're going through this process and you do feel like you're a bit more isolated and lonely than you were before, I'd encourage you to check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. Um, and as well, if you want to support what I'm doing and join one of those great communities online that are out there, we have a wonderful community online um, for people that are supporting what I'm doing, helping me do what I do for free. Um, you can join that at patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner and become a part of um, the, the movement, become a part of helping me help other people that are going through deconstruction. I talk with hundreds of people a day. I spend hours and hours a day doing that. Um, I put out resources, everything I do is for free um, and, it, and it is a full-time job for me. It's a full-time job and some, to be honest with you. Um, and the only reason I can do that is because of people like yourself that are able to support what I'm doing. If you're not able to support, everything's always gonna be free anyway. Please never feel any pressure. But I do like to let people know because that is what moves the needle. That's what helps me pay the bills while I, while I focus on helping other people. All right, let's dive into our questions. So. There's a whole host of questions here. They kind of overlap and intermingle. And so um, I might sort of read one and then just kind of figure out, figure that I've answered some of the other ones as we go. Um, but the first question was, how do I um, navigate my friends and my family that just don't get it? Now, the first thing I'll say is we've got an earlier episode of the series, the Understanding Deconstruction series, that talks about how to tell your friends and family that are conventional Christians about your deconstruction. And that would be my first port of call because anything I say here is gonna scrape the surface compared to that dedicated episode that goes into depth in there. But there are a few things I wanna kind of touch in a broad stroke if you don't have the time to look at that right now and you just want some quick tips. Um, one of the biggest things I'll say is that you are at a very different place psychologically than they are now. Um, you know, you have grown up, you've developed, and you've come to a place where the things that drive you and your motivations 
are not the same as what the motivations are for your friends and family that are in a place of conventional Christianity. If conventional Christianity feels safe to them, um, if they feel certain about that, if they feel secure about that, they're good. You know, uh, they're largely driven and motivated by those three components. Most people you find that are in conventional Christianity are looking for safety, certainty, and security. They want a structure. They want some leaders that will tell them this is how it is. And if you just do this, you'll be fine. You'll be safe. Um, they want something that gives them some stability in their life. And they found that in conventional Christianity. The difference is that you maybe found that for many years, um, but as you've grown up and developed, you've shifted from what motivates you and what drives you. And you've shifted into being much more driven by a authentic uh, pursuit of truth. You've started to question authority and, and start to realize that you yourself can come to your own conclusions and think things through. Or maybe you found that there are authorities outside of the church that have much to say on different matters that seem to know more than the people inside the church. Um, you are no longer driven by safety primarily. You're driven by truth and authenticity and, and wanting to know that you're doing the right thing and, and things like that. And so you're starting to grow up and sh see shifts and changes in what's driving you. You know, maybe you're starting to be driven much more by a black and white uh what's uh, in and out and right and wrong. Maybe you're starting to be driven by inclusivity and love and thinking, gosh, some of the people that we cast out of the church, maybe people in the LGBTQ community or something like that, or how we've treated people of different races, whatever it might be, some of those things are a bigger driving force for you um, that have caused you to question this stuff. And so all of that to say that how you think is very different to how someone in a conventional Christian setting tends to think. It's not that they're irrational or illogical, and it's not that you're irrational or illogical. It's that you both have a different parameter through which you see things rationally and logically. And so you're going to see your friends and family as being completely crazy. They're completely illogical, irrational. They're not even thinking things through. Yeah, look at that contradiction. Look at, you've not even thought this through. That's a totally circular argument, whatever it might be, right? But they, in the same time, are going to be looking at you going, this is crazy. Don't they know what the Bible says? Don't they know what the church has always believed? Don't they know what the pastor said is true? They have a different par parameter around what is logical and rational and yours is different. And so you're immediately going to be butting heads over um, the very basis on which you come to conclusions and think. And so it's really important on the whole that you don't allow yourselves to be dragged into an argument with friends and family. This is one of the biggest areas that people fall into a trap. Um, it's very easy for us because we've spent a lot of time trying to discover what's right and what's true and what's you know what's um, real. And so we've we've studied, maybe looked at some podcasts, we've we've read some books. We're trying to figure this out. It actually. Um, oftentimes it's you that know more about Christianity than the person in conventional Christianity. Because you spent time in conventional Christianity, you know that world, you know the Bible quotes, you know what the pastor says, you know the sermons, you could probably give the sermon. But you've also additionally done great research beyond that. Um, and so it's very easy for us, coming from that um, later place, that place of, of more growth and development, to come back and go, well, I'll just teach them what's true. I'll just tell them what I learned in these books and these podcasts and the things that I've come to uh, learn on my own in my, my time of meditation and growth or whatever it is that you've done to develop yourself. Um, it's very easy for us to come back to that situation and just presume that if we give that person an explanation and argue with them, they'll figure out that we're right and they'll leave conventional Christianity and grow in a 
similar way that we have. Well, first of all, people grow in different ways. You know, just looking across deconstruction, people are in very different places. So what's right for you is not right for everyone. And second of all, they're not using the same parameters that you use presently to come to your conclusions. And so what's gonna happen is you're gonna hit a brick wall with these arguments. You're gonna end up having these weird uh, circular arguments where you're looking at things from a more factual, historical, cultural, you'll, you'll open up the Bible and go, well, yeah, but look at the context. And they aren't able to do that. They're gonna look at the Bible in a very different way. And so you're gonna have these two people arguing with both people not really feeling the other person as being genuine, being rational, being logical. It doesn't go anywhere well. Um, and especially because people in the conventional Christian space are looking for certainty, safety, and security. You're introducing things that make them feel less certain, less secure, less safe. And that's a breeding ground for cognitive dissonance. That's a breeding ground for things going in one ear and out the other. They, don't, they can't hear it because they can't hear things that make them feel unsafe, insecure. The same way that if you are honest and look back across your life, you spent many years in that place too. You didn't suddenly just be exposed to one idea and you threw out conventional Christianity and, and now believe what you believe today. No, that idea probably was hit off you several times throughout your life. Many ideas bounced off you day in, day out, I'm sure, where you couldn't hear it, you couldn't see it. And so all that to say, try and avoid big theological debates with friends and family because it's not gonna go anywhere, it's not helpful, and it only serves to drive a bigger wedge between you. Instead of focusing on things that um, are very, very important to each other, but very, very different, instead find things that are important to each other that are similar. There are so many things that we can bond over. We can bond over the fact that we love people, that we care for people, that we are family, that we are friends, that we have a history together, bond over certain activities, um, certain ideas and ideologies that do um, cross over. There's so many, you know? Um, now that's gonna be harder for some and easier for others. You know, I know many people, their families um, never really talked much about faith. Maybe they were quite committed individually, but they didn't spend a lot of time as a family praying, talking about the Bible, talking about Jesus and Christianity. They spent more time playing miniature golf and going out on for meals and having fun and doing whatever. That's gonna be an easier situation to transition than maybe your family, the, your parents of the pastors and every day, all day, all you did was sit and watch TV and add Christian commentary to what's happening in the world. And you know, you would discuss philosophical and theological ideas. That's gonna be a much harder thing to connect with than uh, maybe a family that bonded over external things. But this is a really huge part um, if you want to have an ongoing relationship with some of these people, you're going to have to find those things that you can bond over that aren't intrinsically Christian or non-Christian, uh, that aren't things that are revolving around theology and philosophy. Um, that's a hard thing I'll say. That's a hard thing for me because I love in-depth, complex conversations, but I'm happy to pick up a board game and play a board game with um, a family member or a friend or something like that. If it's, if it's going to be um, a problem, I can do fun things. We can go for a walk, you know, go for a walk at the beach or in the woods or, you know, just get out and have fun and, and, and do something different um, and start to bond over other activities. Um, and so it might be that you want to start trying to take up an activity, start doing a sport with a friend or um, take up a hobby, go photography, do photography and go outside and take some photos together or do something fun and different that isn't bringing us back to this main point that we massively disagree on. 
Now, of course, at the end of the day, this is all that matters to a Christian. It's so key to Christians that other people are Christian. We'd need it on a subconscious level to reinforce our beliefs and help us feel safe and secure, but we also need it in a, need it in a very loving sense. We really care for this person and we want them to go to heaven. Um, and so you're going to have to navigate this. It's not gonna be easy. It's not gonna be a black and white thing, but certainly a big part of moving forward is to find common ground that we can connect with um, with each other on and can connect over. You know, I saw um, just the other day an amazing uh, podcast with someone who um, isn't a Christian at all, but they were connecting with a very devout Orthodox Jew and they started talking about how they both allow faith and 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 um, their belief in divinity and God to shape their day-to-day -day. and they talked about that and they had a great conversation about that. They had a conversation about how um, the busyness of life and social media can help, uh, can can hinder their process in, in being more grounded and more connected to their families. And so it's possible to have very, very different ideologies and still within that, find things that we are finding common ground on. And so I'd encourage you to focus on those areas. It's such a huge deal when you're dealing with friends and family. Um, unfortunately, at times you are gonna have to draw some really hard boundaries though. So one of the questions we had was, how do I cut ties with people that are triggering me or at least set up boundaries with them? And you're gonna find this, right? So you're gonna find that maybe once your mother finds out that you're starting to deconstruct, that you no longer believe the way she feels comfortable with, you're gonna find she's calling you every now and again. You're gonna find she sends you passive aggressive um, articles via, um, Facebook, you're gonna find your dad gives you a, a book by some generic conventional Christian talking about how deconstruction is evil or how you should really deconstruct or whatever. And he's gonna say, could you read this book for me? And you're gonna find people um, really impinging on your day to day and it's gonna be hard. You're already navigating deconstruction. Deconstruction is hard and triggering as hell on its own without other people injecting themselves in your life and trying to make it harder. Now, of course, that's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to help you. They're trying to save you. They're trying to reach you. They're trying to save your eternal soul. They they want you to feel like they do. They want you to feel safe and secure and certain. And they can't fathom that maybe you not feeling safe and secure and certain about the same thing as them is okay. That's impossible for them to fathom. And so they're trying their best, but at some point you're gonna have to draw some lines in the sand and say, that's not okay. Mom, I need you to stop sending me messages of random Christian, uh, I don't know, videos on Facebook of people singing gospel songs or whatever, or someone getting saved because of something. I, I, I just, it's not helpful for me and it's harming our relationship. You know, setting up boundaries and saying to people, look, I love you, I want a relationship with you, but for us to have a relationship, I need for this thing to be taken off the table. I don't want to have these types of conversations right now. At some point, maybe I'll be in a place where we can have those conversations. I recognize they're important to you, but right now it's really important to me that we don't go there because I'm working through my own stuff. I've got trauma, I've got pain, I've got whatever. Can you, acknowledge that that's something important to me. Can you respect that? If you can't respect that, there's gonna be a boundary set up, which is I block you on Facebook, which is I stop coming over for Sunday dinners, uh, which is whatever. I call once a month instead of once a week. Um, it depends what it looks like, right? For you, it might be, hey, which is I have to move out the house. I mean, it's harder when you're living at home with, with uh, family and things like that as well. It's really hard when you're married to the person. We'll touch on that in a little bit. Um, there's loads of components here, but 
it's really important that you set up very firm and clear boundaries. Now, let me say a few things about boundaries. Boundaries historically have been used and abused heavily within Christianity. Um, you know, a lot of the time boundaries are set up in a way that basically passively punishes people. Um, and the goal is to kind of get people to change. Now, your boundary is not to get your family to be less Christian, to be less uh, passionate about you getting saved, to be less caring for your eternal soul from their perspective, particular lens. Your family are going to be your family, whether you set up a boundary or not. That's not what it's about. The boundary is about how you and I relate. And it's really important that when a boundary is set, it's held very firm. It's made very clear, this is important to me and I will follow through with the consequences. Now, the consequences, again, are not to punish they're to protect. It's setting up a fence and saying, hey, you can't come onto the other side of this fence if you're not going to protect, uh, to value where I'm at and look after me. I need to look after myself. I need to be healthy. So you are not allowed to consistently start praying in the middle of a conversation because that makes me feel really uncomfortable. I don't mind you praying. I don't even mind you praying for me, but do it on your own time, in your own space, not around me. Um, if your family keeps just jumping into prayer in the middle of the conversation or something like that, I don't know if that's something people do. I, I can imagine many people doing it. Um, then the boundary is I'm going to stop being around you as much. And hopefully through that, you start to think maybe it's not so important that I do that. Maybe I could do that less uh, often if it means I get to see my, my mom more, if I get to see my daughter more, whatever it looks like. Um, it's really important that you stick to the consequences of your boundary though. If someone starts not respecting your boundary, it's really important that you say very quickly, hey, remember this boundary that was set in place? You're compromising that. I'm happy to give you like a warning, just highlight, hey, that's what you're doing right now. But if you do it again, I really will follow through on that consequence. Do not just keep doing that. At a certain point, very early on, you need to very firmly go, this is the consequence and it's going to happen now. I'm removing myself from this situation. And this will go to the second thing that I'll say about boundaries. A lot of time, people put boundaries in their life to just push people away. They just don't want to deal with them anymore. So they put up a boundary, person breaks the boundary and they're like, you're done, I'm out. But that's not what a boundary is. A boundary is, uh, you know, think of setting up, a, again, a fence, a protective border around your area. There's always a gate in that fence. If there's not a gate in your boundary, it's not a healthy boundary, okay? Now, the gate has a lock on your side and it's got a sign on their side saying, this is what you need to do if you want to come into this area of my life. If you want to have more access to me, if you want to be closer to me, read the rules and obey them. If you don't obey them, you'll get kicked back out. If you do read these rules and start following through on them, I can unlock this gate on my side and you can come in. The rules still apply if you break them, you'll end up on the other side of the fence. But it's really important that when you communicate boundaries to your family and consequences, you equally communicate, re-communicate those boundaries and say, hey, right now you've been crossing the line, right? You've been constantly, passively, aggressively uh, mentioning my faith and passively, aggressively, uh, or maybe just straight up aggressively asking if I'm going to church or what do I believe now or making passive aggressive comments about atheists or agnostics or Buddhists or whatever might be somewhat something along the lines of where you're at. Um, that's not okay. So I'm sorry, I'm not going to be around as much. I need some space. If you want to see me more often, I need you to acknowledge that you're doing that and it, and it wasn't okay and you recognize that and you're not going to do that moving forward. 
when your family come to you and say, hey, we're really sorry, we did think about it and I, I don't like it and I'm uncomfortable with it, but I recognize that's important for you and I do want you in my life. And most families do want you in their life. It's really hard for them not to. Um, of course, there's some families that just can't deal with this whole process of deconstruction and that's that. And it really is the end of the relationship in many ways, maybe years down the line that might change if, if they can uh, grow up and develop and evolve. Um, but for many people, that is it. Um, but for a, a good portion of people, maybe even the majority of people, I would say, the families still want to connect. They still want to be, um, you know, they still want to be in touch with their parents. They still want to be in touch with their children or their brother or sister or whatever it might look like. Um, and so if you communicate clearly, hey, this is what I'm going to need. I need an apology from you. I need you to acknowledge what's happening. And I need you to commit to being better moving forward. You are so welcome to come back. I will start visiting again. I'll start answering the phone when you call. It's really important to set up that fence with a gate, with clear instructions on how to get back into my life and clear boundaries set with a lock on your side, not theirs. Um, and so I think it's really important that we, we, we learn that skill. It's really hard. A lot of the people I talk to, it's about their parents. Um, it's, it's very often um, children of, of conventional Christians that are changing, evolving, um, you know, moving forward in their faith. And the parents really struggle with this and maybe all siblings and things like that. But with the parents, it's especially hard to set up a boundary. It's really hard in Christian circles where we've taught the kids you have to honor and obey the fa the parents and you know the the mother is uh, in charge and the, the dad is the head of the household so he's even more important than the mother and you all have to respect that kind of chain of command and you know you do what the father says because that's what's right and these are very common kind of uh, ideologies that float around in conventional Christianity so it's very hard when you've been at the top of that structure and you grew up in a structure where you had to honor your parents and uh, 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 and, and all of that, it's very hard for you suddenly to have your son or daughter turn around and kind of dictate some terms of relationship, to give some boundaries. Because in some ways, you become the adult, you become the grown-up that's going to communicate more clearly and say, this is what I need from you. Most parents really struggle with that early on. Most parents struggle with their kids becoming adults, right? I mean, that's just a hard transition. It's a whole nother transition when they realize, gosh, I'm the one acting like a child and my son or daughter is coming to me and trying to help me become a healthier person. They're giving me some clear boundaries. They're giving me consequences. They're, they're treating me like a child in a lot of ways. And it's because they need to be in this area. Um, and so that's going to be hard. I've, I've no doubt, um, you know, for many of you setting up these boundaries, it's scary. Um, you feel anxious. You're wondering, maybe it's not worth it at all. Maybe I'll just suffer. Uh, maybe I'll just go around for dinner and hear all the passive aggressive comments and I'll nod my head and smile and um, or maybe I'll just never tell my family about deconstruction and, and, and that's okay as well. We'll touch on that in a little bit. Um, but for many of you, you can't be driven by that fear and that anxiety. You know, you have to work on that, deal with that, go into that and explore it. Um, but work on that to the place where you can start to lay down some clear boundaries and, and, and manage them as well, because that's really how you're going to start building a healthy relationship with your family. Um, if you want that family uh, relationship to continue, you need to be able to set those boundaries. Um, there's loads of other things I could say. Again, I would encourage you to check out that specific video on how to talk about deconstruction with friends and family. Um, but the big key is trying to manage their 
feeling safe, certain, and secure. Recognizing that that's such a core value for them and helping them feel that is so important. If you can do that, you're gonna mitigate so many different arguments. Avoid those uh, theological debates and intellectual arguments, avoid that like the plague, and set up healthy boundaries. Those are just a few of the key kind of things that I would recommend um, early on. Um, one of the things as well that someone asked is, how do I reassure my friends and family who are so worried about me? And this is really hard because um, I think we often forget this. We often forget that as hard as this is for us, this deconstruction, it's hard for us to process this stuff. And, you know, we talked in other videos about the, we're scared, what if I'm wrong? Or maybe, you know, what if I go, what if I go to hell? What if hell is real and I'm going to go there? Or, um, you know, there's all sorts of different questions that we work through and process through. And we've got trauma that we're working through and all these different things. It's very easy for us to see how hard it is for ourselves. But often that blinds us to seeing how hard this is for our family and friends. You know, they, they live in a world, and, and maybe if you um, can be a bit self-aware and look back on your life as to when you were a conventional Christian, um, you can maybe recognize that when there were times in your life where someone, uh, quote-unquote, fell away or left the faith or something like that, you were really worried about them. You really cared, you know? It wasn't just a, a, an opportunity to gossip. It was a very real concern that this person might go to hell that this person might suffer and struggle in life because they didn't have Jesus by their side or you know any of these kind of phrases that might to you today go, gosh, that's, that's another life. Well, it's their present life and they really are worried about you. They're really scared for you. You know, like think of a, um, you know, a mother and father that raised their, their son their whole lives and now he's turned around and said, um, I'm not sure I'm a Christian anymore. Your first thought is, gosh, I, I don't want to spend eternity without my son. I don't want my son to be punished in hell for eternity. I, um, I don't know what, uh, how I'll deal with this. I'm really worried. I'm upset. Maybe it might be a bit more selfish. Maybe it's that I don't know what I'll uh, tell my friends at church when they ask about how my son's doing. And I have to say, oh, he's a, he's a Buddhist now, or he's an atheist, or he's, he's into the new age or whatever. Um, you know, what am I going to, there's so many emotions that they're navigating and feeling. And so I think it's really important that you communicate with your family, look, it's okay to feel what you feel. I understand that this is maybe quite scary for you. I understand that you're maybe quite worried for me. Um, I want you to know that I love you. I'm not doing this out of some weird reckless pursuit. I, I genuinely am trying to pursue what I feel to be true and most um, authentacious, uh, most honest and, and authentic, you know. Uh, that's what I, is authentacious a word? I don't know. Uh, most authentic. Um, I really care. I care about you a lot and I know you care about me and I know that's where a lot of this is coming from. You really care for me. Um, one thing you can do that helps spike people's ability to feel safe and secure and 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 um, and, and and you know stable and and feel like they've got some grounding is you can say to your family, "Hey, I know that prayer is really important for you. Could you be praying for me?" Now, don't you know? Make sure they're not just going to quickly lay hands on you and have a prayer meeting and invite all their friends from church around to pray. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm I'm going to take some space. But in your own time, you can be praying for me. I know they're going to be praying for you either way, but you asking them for prayer, something like that can be a very um, helpful thing to help them feel a bit safer and more secure and feel a bit at peace about you. They, they suddenly feel that the God of the universe is on their side and you're working together to pray for them. And, and you even asked for prayer. So maybe there's some glimmer of hope. Now, 
Um, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, don't do that, of course. But certain things like that can be a really easy way to solve the pain, to give them some stability again, to help um, them come to terms with, with something painful that's happened. Think of a small child that falls over and grazes their knee um, and you give them an ice cream cone. You know, they forget they have a sore knee in about three seconds. They are going to tan on that ice cream cone, right? There's ice cream all over their face. Um, and once they finish the ice cream, they look down, their knee's still sore. And actually they, they're reminded of the pain. They're like, oh, actually that's really sore or whatever. Um, but there is a component of um, they've had time for that pain to subside. They've come to terms with that pain a little bit more because they were distracted by the ice cream, okay? So think of things like asking your parents or whoever to say, oh, well, please keep me in your prayers. Pray that I'd find the truth. Pray that the, that God's whatever that might mean to them, divine, whatever, that God might help reveal himself to me. Because let's be honest, right? If there is a God, sure, reveal yourself to me. And if you don't believe there is a God, that's gonna cost you nothing, but it helps them feel safer. And in doing that, maybe you're giving them some time to come to terms with this. The truth is, you know, you have had weeks, months, years to come to terms with this journey you're on, and it's been hard, right? It's been really hard for you, and you've done this over months and years. They are getting this information when you drop this on them. They're getting it in 40 seconds. You know, it's just hitting them like a brick wall. And then, you know, there's just ringing in their ears as they process this bombshell that you've dropped on them. Uh, it's a lot for them to process. They need time as well to come to terms with this. They need time to fit it in their worldview so that they feel safe again, so that they feel secure. Um, and so don't push any response on them. You know, talk to your family and say, hey, I don't need anything from you. I don't need you to tell me how you feel. I understand this is a lot. I want you to take time to process. I want you to figure out how you're gonna move forward with this. And I wanna help you as best I can. We're gonna respect my boundaries in that. You know, so you can set up your boundaries and say, we're not gonna cross those, but as best as I can be here for you and help you feel connected to me. And um, I really want to do that. Let's go do an activity together. Let's try and pick a, a new hobby together and do something fun. Um, let's listen to some, go watch some comedy or something like that that's a bit less uh, theologically pointed. Um, whatever you can do to help reassure your friends and family, that will go a long, long way. Um, it really will. And, and we have to acknowledge that they are going through pain and suffering and fear um, often just as much, often more, maybe a little less. It, it's up there though. It's a, it's a huge amount of fear and, and, and pain that they're going through through your deconstruction as well. Um, as far as cutting ties with people, that's occasionally required. Now, hopefully that isn't required for your mom, you know, for your sister, um, but sometimes it is. And certainly sometimes it's required for spiritual leaders that just won't respect your boundaries. Maybe some friends that um, are proving to be less healthy friends as time goes on because they don't know how to be friends with you outside of Christianity. And that's understandable. For many of us, some such friends we've only ever known through church and because of church and we've connected over our shared faith. So they're finding it very hard to interact with you in any other way. They're not interested in taking up a new hobby and trying to explore this uh, friendship beyond faith. And so you're gonna have to cut ties with certain friends. Um, I don't know if there's a right or wrong way to do this, but I think at times it just requires healthy communication, requires saying, hey, 
honestly, this friendship isn't really working for me anymore, you'll probably find that most conventional Christians will cut you out of their life automatically. You know, for every pastor that badgers you wanting to have another coffee to try and convince you you're wrong and get you saved, there's at least a couple of pastors that would never talk to you. Um, and so for a lot of you there, you're, you're thinking, gosh, I wish the pastor had asked me for coffee. Um, and others of you are going, God, I just need to get away from this pastor. I don't know how. You know, it's not one model fits all, but you'll probably find for a lot of you that your friends, your family, spiritual leaders, a lot of them will start distancing themselves anyway. You probably won't have to work hard to cut ties, but for some of them, you will. You know, for certain people, maybe a pastor's pestering you and saying, hey, can we meet up? You're gonna have to reply and say, hey, Personally, I don't feel comfortable with that. Um, I would, excuse me, excuse me. Um, I would really appreciate if you stopped reaching out to me and connecting with me. Um, I no longer consider myself part of your church. I'd appreciate if you took me off any communication and you stopped messaging me. If I want to talk to you at any point, I'll be sure to message you. Thank you. Really clear, to the point, friendly, not rude, but clear. We are, we're done here. No, thank you. Um, maybe with friends and family that you have more of a relationship with, you might consider doing some boundaries as an initial step. And if they consider and they continue to cross those boundaries, the consequence will be a conversation like that of, hey, we're no longer friends. Hey, we're family, but I will see you at a wedding and a funeral. You know, we are not going to be connecting anymore until you learn to be a bit more healthy. If I change my opinion, I'll let you know, but no, this is, we're done here. And I think that's really helpful. It's really healthy um, in many contexts. Of course, in other contexts, it's not required. Don't feel like there's one model that fits all here. It's not at all the case. Some of you have asked, um, you know, do I have to tell people in my life that I'm deconstructing. And, and I would say a resounding no, you don't have to tell anyone. This is something that is deeply personal, that is very much, um, uh, it adds a whole nother layer of pain, hurt, suffering, hardship, uh, and maybe a whole layer of joy and freedom and excitement and liberation. You know, there's a lot of, of, of positives and negatives in the process of telling people where you're at and being free to be open, to be yourself. And so it's gonna involve a whole host of emotions, but what it will be is on some level very exhausting physically and emotionally. And so you need to figure out, am I in a place where I can do that right now? If you're still in the very throngs of deconstruction and you're feeling exhausted, excuse me, uh, Gosh, sorry, I'm very yawny today. I did have sleep, I promise. Um, if you're in a place where you are in the midst of working through religious trauma and you know, you're know you really struggling with the loss of your faith and, and the changes going on in your faith, um, that's maybe not the right time to do it. Might be, again, there's no model, there's no black and white model. Maybe you think, you know what, rip the bandaid off, get it all over and done with. Um, but for other people, it might be best to wait until you're in a bit of a more stable place, a bit more of a healthy place. You've worked through some of that trauma, you're feeling you're a little bit on the other side. Um, that might not be practical. For some of you, you're gonna be working through trauma for 10 years. Um, and so maybe um, for some of you, you might want to wait. You might wanna feel that there's a right time. Um, maybe, you know, I've, I know a lot of people that have very um, elderly parents or grandparents and they think it's just not worth telling them. I don't wanna ruin their lives over this. You know, the, the odds are they'll probably be dead in the next 
five, 10, 15 years, maybe I just don't tell them. Maybe I, and even if I just tell other people in the family, I'll ask them to not tell uh, grandma or, or parents or whatever. Now, again, you've got to uh, bear in mind that a lot of people, when your eternal soul is on the line, confidentiality doesn't really come into it. Um, and so you have to maybe weigh, weigh you know, uh, weigh up who you're going to tell, who you feel might respect that. Um, if you want certain people not to know, um, that might be harder to do. Um, but I think a lot of people can understand that um, and would respect that as well. Um, so there's different contexts here. Some people just don't need to tell anyone. They move on. They're just done. They, they maybe live further away from the friends and family they grew up with. Maybe they just recently moved and they're starting a whole new life and they start from scratch and it's not Christian orientated. It's orientated around who lives near me and who has similar hobbies and different ideologies. Or maybe we're in a, I'm in a local political party and I'm meeting friends through that or whatever it is. You, you feel, actually, I don't mind going home three times a year, once a year and pretending, putting a hat on and, and for the sake of them feeling a bit safer and secure, I don't mind. Um, I can just avoid a lot of these conversations. And, and so it, there isn't a black and white um, thing that you should do. Um, I, I really don't want anyone to feel that. I will, however, say that the weight that we carry on our shoulder of not being ourselves is exhausting. There's no question of that. You know, I know for myself personally, for years, I had to put on a mask and pretend to be someone I wasn't. You know, I had to pretend to be the happy conventional Christian in my church, in my leadership meetings. When I was traveling and speaking in churches, I had to pretend to be someone that I wasn't. Um, and that was very hard. It was very exhausting. It was tiring. Um, and it, it was very lonely. Um, and I felt that I wasn't really being loved or accepted because it was the mask I was putting on every day. That was what received the love and acceptance. Who I really was didn't receive that love or acceptance. And so um, you might find that hard as it is, it's worth taking that mask off and being, this is who I am. Can you love and accept me for who I am? And if you can't, that's okay. I kind of get that's hard for some people, but I need to be me. Um, and so please weigh up all of these things. Take your time. Figure out what works for you. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to include any one. Um, whatever this looks like for you, it's going to be unique to you, your experience, your circumstance, what you believe today. That's going to change as time goes on as well. Um, and so take your time and do what feels right for you. You don't have to come out. You don't um, You don't have to not come out. And, and I use come out there. I don't mean that in the sense of, um, you know, there's maybe some parallels with uh, coming out as um, gay or trans or bi or whatever that might be. Um, of course, very different situations. Um, and yet there's a lot of parallels there, but I don't mean to use a, a phrase that is obviously um, very important to people in the LGBTQ community. I don't mean to be like co-opting that phrase or anything. So forgive me if that's more of a, uh, a slip of the tongue, but um, it's, it's often the language that people throw around and, and use. And that was the language of this question is, do I have to come out? Uh, we've got it in quotes here. Um, and so forgive me if, if that's any offense to you. It's not my intention um, for, by any means. Someone asked here a really interesting question as well. And they said, is it okay for me to remain in church for the community, even though I don't really agree with so much of what they're um, about? And I think that's a really interesting question. And it highlights something that's very real and, and, and uh, occurs is that a lot of people that deconstruct their faith remain in church. Excuse me, I'm just going to take a drink. 
you know, um, it's really common. Uh, early on in deconstruction, as much as 34% of people that deconstruct stay within church. Now, some of that is because they find a new form of Christianity that works for them. And so they maybe change churches and find a new church that works for them. But a lot of people, it's that right now they just don't have a community beyond the church. They want to still hold on to some form of uh, community, to having friends, to having people around them that encourage them, that are there for them. And maybe they have to put on a mask a little bit to um, hide who they are. Um, maybe that might cause some tension and problems. But for many people, uh, it's worth it. They, they really don't know how they will rebuild community. They don't know how to do life without community. Um, and so for me, I would say, yes, if that's what you need and it's fulfilling that need right now, yes. I think if you ask your pastor, they might have a different answer or maybe they want you to stay so they can convince you and change you. Maybe they want you gone so you're not less, uh, this uh, wolf in sheep's clothing. Who, who knows what um, you know, the conventional leader might say uh, in your church. But to me, you know, just from a very personal point, I think it's okay to look after the needs that you have and navigate that. One thing I'll say is to be careful in that process though. Um, a lot of people end up in um, an abusive cycle. Um, and so again, talking of parallels, something I see again and again is a lot of Christians end up in an abusive cycle, not unlike people that are uh, in domestic abuse cycles. Um, you know, so you'll find a lot of the time people going, well, you know, ah, the church isn't that bad and it's, it's not causing that much pain. Maybe I should go back and give it a shot. And so they go back and they spend a, a week or two there and they end up getting really hurt again and they leave. Um, and then they go, wow, but maybe it's not so bad. And I do miss the community and those people love me so much. And so they go back and they get hurt again and they end up in this very abusive cycle. So that's, of course, not everyone that is staying in church um, is doing that. And of course, not every church is abusive by any means. Um, but be aware that that is a, a pitfall and a trap. And be aware if you are finding yourself feeling really burned out and leaving church and then coming back to it a few weeks later, going, oh, maybe it wasn't that bad, and then getting on okay for a week or two and then coming right back out. Or maybe you're spending four months out and you go back for one week and then you spend another four months out because it hurts so much and then you go back for one week you are potentially falling into the trap of um, a somewhat abusive cycle. You are believing the narrative of the abuser that we're not that bad, you know, it's worth maybe another shot, give me another shot, you know, it, it, it will be worth it, all that kind of stuff. Um, and you are not listening to your own experience that has been felt, your own uh, history and journey of walking through the church. And, and it's really important that you do that. And so as you... Um, consider staying in the church as you consider being a part of that community do ask yourself is this more positive than harmful or is it more harmful than positive is this worth doing um, because there is a good chance um, for some of you it won't be and actually you're a little bit locked in in a, in a abusive cycle and, and here's the truth I get it not having community is really hard. I've lived a couple of years of my life with no community, no friends, and that has been extraordinarily painful. And I'm really privileged and lucky now to have a thriving community around me here in, in the UK where I am. Um, and uh, move to the UK, everyone, move to my area like you should, come and hang out with us in Manchester. If you're, if you're deconstructing in the UK and you fancy a change of scene, come and move to Manchester and we'll hang out. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, 
it's really hard. It's really, really hard, but there are things you can do. And so another question I get a lot is how do I even begin building community and friendships post deconstruction? And that's hard. You know, one of the weird things about church is it kind of teaches us um, that we don't have to make friends. It kind of uh, skips the, the journey of learning to make friends. It skips uh, community building. Um, people outside the church um, either don't have those things, but more often do have those things and they've, they've built them. They've developed them in their own ways healthily over time. Um, people in church, you move to a church, you go in the door and someone, they have a welcome team. There's people at the door who say, hi, welcome. Tell me a bit about yourself. You know, oh, you should go and meet Frank. He's a great guy. Or, oh, this guy over here, Billy, he's a nice guy. He's got a similar hobby. He also likes whatever. You should be his friend. Like, the church really works hard to help you feel part of a community. They will go out of their way when you're ill. They'll make you some lasagnas and make a rota to look after you and your family. When you, um, you know, you, you join, they're like, oh, here, like, why don't you join a home group? Why don't you get settled in with some friends? There's young adults groups, there's youth groups, there's singles groups, there's OAP groups, you know, for old age pensioners. You know, there's all sorts of different groups to help people connect and feel part of something. There's meetings throughout the week. So I don't even have to send a text to some people and go, who wants to hang out this week? You know, let's do a boards game night on Thursday. That doesn't need to happen because there is a social on Thursday and there's a youth group on Friday that I'm volunteering at and there's church on Sunday or twice on Sunday and, oh, there's a, a you know, citywide gathering that we're doing or there's all these things non-stop prayer meetings, small groups, you know, all these things that are occurring, you don't actually have to get very good at being intentional about developing friendships, about putting on events, about um, gathering people to yourself, about meeting new people. Those things are hard when you leave the church because those things were done for you. I cannot tell you how many people have sent me this message saying, how do I build friendships outside of church? And in some ways, it's really funny because the answer is so simple. And in other ways, it's terrifying because the answer is so simple. I have to go talk to people. I have to go talk to people I don't know and make friends with them. That's a scary thought. And yet at the same time, it's really simple. You know, we basically are going all the way back to the playground when we were five and our mum dropped us off at school for the first time. And we as a kid, kind of ran up to strangers and went, hey, do you want to play with me? And we just start kicking a ball around or playing on the monkey bars or whatever it was, you know, like that was easy as a five-year-old. Now I get some five-year-olds that was very hard as well. I was probably that person. I wanted to be on my own as a five-year-old. Um, but yeah, it's, it's as simple as meeting new people, talking to them, sharing some stories with them, talking about their lives and getting to know them, asking about their families and in time going, hey, you want to hang out? You want to come and, you know, why don't your family come to my house for dinner? You know, why don't we go out for a pint or for a coffee? Um, a lot of that is a lot easier if you can connect around something, right? So it's much easier doing that to someone that you work out with at the gym and you see them regularly and you strike up a bit of small talk and conversation about working out. And then over time you ask them about their family or what they do for a living. And in time you go, hey, do you want to go for a pint one day after the gym? Like that's an easier transition than uh, walking through a supermarket and going, hey, you like milk too. Do you want to be my friend? Of course, I'm not saying like be a weirdo. Um, that's probably not going to work for you. Do you know what? Some of us are desperate enough that we're like, yes, I would like to be your friend. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But I think for a lot of us, that would be a weird one, right? Um, but it is more organic if you join a gym and get to know the people there. If you um, go online and look up some courses that are in your area or groups, you know, there's many walking groups, there's hiking groups, there's photography clubs, there's art clubs, there's 
um, painting classes you can do. There's, if you're a parent, there's so many things around children and things like that. And so many of you parents know this, that, you know, there's so many other parents that are living their lives balanced around kids that when you meet other parents of other kids, you're like, ah, let's connect, let's talk. And you're quite excited to have a play date because you get to talk to an adult for the day, you know, rather than just these crazy kids that babble nonsense all day or ask you annoying questions or whatever. Um, you know, it's, it's around humanity. It's around commonality that we are gonna build new friendship and community. And it's hard. Let me tell you, the community I built here was hard work. I'm an introvert. I don't like putting myself out there. I have great deals, uh, fear of rejection. I have a big need of acceptance and approval. I've worked on those and they're slightly smaller and they're still the size of Everest. You know, they are not small. And so to send texts to people I barely knew and said, hey, I'm new in the area. Do you want to come and hang out? Or, hey, we met at the gym. Do you want to go for a pint sometime? Um, that's hard because sometimes people say, ah, I'm a bit busy. I'm just happy connecting at the gym sometimes. I don't really you know, want to go to the pub with you ever. You know, that's a hard text to receive. I get it. I get it. That's hard. But you know what's harder? Living utterly alone. Um, and of course, most of us aren't utterly alone, which is thankful. Um, but it is hard. It's hard. I'm not going to pretend it's easy to make friends. In a sense, it is easy. Everyone loves making friends. Everyone loves great people, connecting with them and feeling like they're loved and accepted and seen. Um, so, you know, there are so many people out there that would love to be your friends, I guarantee. Um, and the weird part of it all as well is actually, we probably would bond over commonalities of faith and things like that as well and spirituality. A lot of people out there are, are leaving the church, are believing certain things that we believe, whether they're atheists, maybe you're an atheist, go find the local atheist chapter and group. Um, you know, there's atheist churches now, there's humanity, uh, humanist uh, churches and things like that that you might be able to join. Um, there's different groups out there that discuss philosophy and, 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 and theology and ideologies and there's political things that you could get involved in. You could volunteer with a local group. There are people that you can go and be a part of something and connect with out there and it's hard and it's scary and it might feel like you might get rejected and you might even feel rejected at times, absolutely. But it's worth it. I, I guarantee it will be worth it. And, and here's the deal. A lot of us are no longer in the communities we were in because their love, whilst real, was very limited. They could only love people that believed the way they did, lived inside that in-group, were on the in of the in and out. Um, and as soon as we became the out, as soon as we became the them and not the us, we were gone. And they didn't know how to love us well. They didn't know how to include us because we were... Satan's, not God's, right? Or whatever extreme example you want to use. The truth is a lot of the community you're gonna build is better. It's more inclusive, it's broader. Their capacity for love is bigger because it's not limited by, I only love people that look like me. And so while it's scary, while it's hard, trust me, it's gonna be something that's better and bigger and more worth it. Um, the friends that you build outside of church will be even more meaningful and um, even more valuable moving forward. And so I encourage you, you know, it's worth the hard, hard uh, work. One thing I'll say again, I mentioned at the beginning, I'll mention it probably at the end, is the Deconstruction Network is a great resource. Deconstructionnetwork.com um, is a great resource because it helps you connect with other people that have left their faith tradition. 
Um, and so you can put in your city, your state, you know, and it will show you people in your area. You click on them and send them a message and get to know them a bit and then see if you want to connect. You know, a lot of people send me selfies and pictures and send me texts saying, hey, I met someone in my area and now we're best friends and we hang out all the time. Like there might not be someone in your area. It's still a new website, but it will continue to grow and, and, and evolve. But it's worth checking that as well if you want to find someone that you probably have a strong common ground with. Um, that's a great way to do it as well. I think, no, we've got one more. Let me talk about this as well. This is one of the hardest parts. So we've talked about friends and family and building community. But one of the hardest things to navigate as you deconstruct is when your partner isn't in the same place that you are. Maybe you are deconstructing, but your partner is quite happy in their faith. They're very conventional Christians still. And that creates all sorts of tension. You know, we, we talked about the boundaries that you have to set with family and friends. And we talked about how you might want to just distance yourself. We talked about how you might want to put a mask on and pretend not to really be where you're at because you need to do that to feel that you'll be loved and accepted. These are really hard to do, but it's really hard to do them when it's your partner. The person that you live with, your your husband, your wife, um, you know, assuming if you're from conventional Christian background, it'll be husband, wife, right? You wouldn't be living together. That's a terrible sin. Um, and so, you know, presumably um, you're in it with this person, right? You've, you've made vows. You, you had a ceremony. You are in for life. That was the outlook going into this relationship, right? You maybe have some kids. Um, the stakes are high for them to turn around and say, I can't accept your boundaries, or I can't accept you now that you believe something else, or I don't want you around our kids, leading them astray. Because here's the thing, right? You probably, if you have kids and you're starting to deconstruct, think, I don't want them being taught conventional Christian values anymore. I want them to be taught these more inclusive and more loving and open and, uh, uh, you know, maybe more rational to you uh, views. That's much more important to me. Um, and yet your partner's going, well, that's terrifying. That's really scary. Like, I don't want them to be taught things that aren't true or might be demonically influenced and not godly and not biblical or whatever language they might have and a way of thinking they might have. This is a tension that is hard to even begin to describe. And, and the, the pain of living in that relationship is hard. It really is. And so I, first of all, I want to sympathize with you. You know, I think my first relationship, um, my first relationship, my first marriage, I should say, um, it ended after about three and a half years or so. And it was be because largely there was a whole host of different reasons, both on me and my partner. Um, but a lot of it was because um, we kind of drifted apart in very different ways as far as how we viewed the world and our outlook. And we, we deconstructed in very different ways. Um, I was still very much in the, the spiritual world and things like that. And um, to many degrees, I was still Christian at the time. Um, my partner was really struggling with a lot of those components and we were struggling to connect. I was traveling around the world and speaking in churches and she couldn't think of anything worse. You know, imagine, imagine your partner is a pastor. Maybe your partner is a pastor. I know I've talked to plenty of pastors, wives and husbands that are deconstructing going, this is going to be even harder, right? You talk about these layers of how hard, right? How many more layers can we add to this being a hell of a situation? Um, and so I get it. I get how hard this can be. And the truth is, you know, a lot of people ask me, is it going to be okay? Or is this going to work? I can't promise that. I really can't. I've talked to many people whose marriages have ended over something like deconstruction. I've talked to many, many people who haven't. 
had their marriage end, that have figured out how to move forward and navigate this and connect on um, on grounds that aren't just about their faith. They connect over their mutual love for their kids and their desire to see their kids grow and flourish and be the best things, uh, best uh, have the best opportunities they could have and all of these different things. They connect over um, going on great date nights and doing exciting things and you know traveling, whatever it is that you might have in common, doing common hobbies and, and things like that. Um, there's lots of ways you can connect with your partner beyond just your faith. Um, and it's hard because no one, when they were saying the vows, when we said in death or life and, in, in, you know, in sickness to death, you know, all these in good times and bad times, we never said, or if you become an atheist, or, you know, that was never on the cards. We always presumed that Christianity is permanent. Um, and so it's hard. It really is. No one, no one went into this relationship expecting the other person to not believe in God. That's a, a biggie to a Christian, isn't it? Um, and so it is really hard to navigate and some people can't navigate this. You might find yourself that even though you're deconstructing, even though you want it to work over time, your concept of marriage, your concept of relationships and stuff, it grows and develops so much that you go, gosh, I um, I have this a lot with, um, with uh, both men and women, but probably more so with women, that they are uncomfortable with the Christian dynamics of gender and um, and and things like that, that they feel very uncomfortable in their marriage because the other person wants to continue those gender roles. Maybe the husband is married to uh, his wife and, and his wife wants to still have him as the leader and be in a, some sort of subversive position to him, a subsidiary position, a, a missive. Um, I'm really struggling with my words today. Um, and, and that makes the guy uncomfortable. No, I want you to be your own woman and you know, chase your dreams and I want to do this as a partnership, not as this kind of weird hierarchical thing. And much more common is obviously on the other side of it, many women deconstruct and the man still wants to be the head of the household and for the woman to just serve him. And, and suddenly you're awakening and you're going, oh gosh, I, I, I never pursued my dreams. I want to go back to college and I want to become a uh, whatever, a business executive. I want to become a person that designs things, you know, graphic design or whatever it is. Suddenly you realize I've got a passion and I want to pursue something. And my husband wants me to stay in the kitchen in the bedroom and look after the kids. This is a problem. And so it's not just surrounding the faith component as well. As your faith develops and evolves, you yourself are going to change and your view on what relationships look like are going to change. Now, the beauty is, um, what you'll find in deconstruction is the stronger the love, the more people are forced to reckon with their own beliefs and try and navigate. You may even find that part of why you deconstructed is someone you love deconstructed in some way. Someone you love maybe had a massive life event that caused you to deconstruct. Often love is a motivator for us deconstructing. And so maybe it might be that in time that your partner might change. It's, they're certainly more likely to change than a, a loose acquaintance at church that heard you deconstructed, right? Because this impacts them so much more. They are going to be forced to face the reality of what they believe so much more than um, someone that you barely know. Um, and so that can happen, and, and I'm not saying it does all the time, but it, it can happen. Um, what can happen as well is that they come to terms with it, we find some common ground and we move forward and we work, make it work. But a lot of times what happens is it doesn't work, and that's never fun, it's never easy. Um, but I wanna encourage you that it's okay, it will be okay. There are so many people out there in um, relationships where they have uh, divorced, where they're raising kids as uh, two-parent um, homes and uh, or one-parent homes, you know, two one-parent homes. Uh, my, my 
yeah, my phrasing today, my wording is struggling. Uh, maybe I didn't get enough sleep. Um, that's okay. It will be okay. You'll figure this out. You will continue to move forward. You will continue to grow and, and find something new that works for you. You know, a lot of people as they deconstruct start to question, well, actually, what is my sexuality? I'm, I've always been actually a little attracted to um, other men and I didn't really realize that. Or maybe I kind of put it to the side and, and oppressed that because I it wouldn't fit in the Christian model, especially if maybe the person was bisexual. That's a little easier to do, to find someone of the opposite sex that you can kind of uh, love and, and connect with and find attractive. But certainly a lot of people that were um, uh, gay, lesbian, um, they didn't have the freedom to explore it. Maybe you are questioning some of your, your gender identity and you didn't have the freedom to do that, but now you, you have freedom to do that. There's so many components here of how relationships work that are gonna change and adapt and evolve. Um, and so you have to hold this with some open hands to some degree. I, I really um, I, I really hope that things work for you, whatever that looks like. Um, you know, I, I never wish the pain of divorce. I had a very amicable and, and very, quote unquote, easy divorce. And it was a very hard process for me. It was so, so painful. I really struggled through it. Um, and so even the best divorce can be hard. And so I would never wish divorce on anyone. But in many ways, the divorce was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, and so in some ways, if that's what's right for you, I, I wish that on you in some way, right? I, I, I hope you have uh, uh, the support you need to get through it. I hope you can navigate that pain and that suffering and you find comfort through it. But I really hope that you have the better life on the other side of it, if that's what you need to find. Um, and so I just encourage you, whatever it looks like, you're gonna make it work. You're gonna be okay. And you're gonna learn to thrive in whatever situation you come out of. Um, and so I, I can't speak too much to this situation because again, there isn't a black and white outcome, but I wanna encourage you that whatever the outcome is, people find a way and, and generally it works for them. It helps them move forward. It helps them live in more freedom and, and love and inclusivity. and. And there is a whole world on the other side of that relationship if it doesn't work. Now, of course, a whole bunch of relationships do work. And so please hear me as well. Don't feel hopeless because honestly, I speak, I'm always surprised, if I'm honest, at how many relationships do work. I think I, I, I want to see some data on it, to be honest with you. At some point, we'll maybe do some research um, in one of our research projects. We'll, we'll, we'll look at this. Um, I'm always surprised at how many relationships do work as people deconstruct. Um, and so, you know, please don't lose hope either. If, if you want to make it work, uh, that is 80% of a battle in a marriage is people wanting to make it work. Um, if you can manage to get two people that want to make it work, gosh, that is huge in making a, a relationship work. And so you, you have a lot going for you if you're married to someone that is in love with you and wants to make it work. Um, one of the resources I'll suggest as well about this um, David Hayward, you'll maybe not know his name. Uh, he's well known as Naked Pastor um, and he makes amazing comics and does beautiful art. Um, uh, but he's also a really um, insightful, wise uh, leader in helping people evolve and, and navigate spiritual changes. Um, and he has a great book called Until Doubt Do Us Part, I think it's called that. If you type in David Hayward, Doubt Do Us Part or something like that, I'm sure it'll come up on Amazon, Goodreads, whatever it is uh, uh, that you that you want to pick it up on. Um, don't do Amazon, find a local dealer. <laughs> I don't know. I'll probably include an Amazon link below so it's easy for you to find and be a complete heretic. Um, but, or hypocrite is what I meant to say there, <laughs> I think. Um, 
it's a great book. It's a really helpful book. It's full of really helpful practical tools for figuring out how to uh, navigate a relationship where people are in a very different place. You know, he talks a lot about his relationship with his wife um, and how they were in a different place as, as he started to deconstruct. And, um, and so it's, it's a great book. There's lots of really helpful practical tools and there's little exercises through it for you to do. Um, so that might be a really helpful resource if you are going through this process of deconstructing and your partner isn't. All right, I think that's enough rambling from me uh, for the day. What's that, about an hour or so, yeah? Um, so I hope that was helpful. I encourage you, like I said uh, a few times, check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. Um, see if there's people in your area that you can connect with. That might make a huge difference in this process. Um, if you can graft yourself into another group of friends or at least make one friend, that can make a huge difference in the process if you're healing and if you're feeling safe to move on from uh, a community that might be less safe for you. Um, it can be really helpful for you if you are in a, a relationship that you're struggling in to have another buddy that you can process that with um, can be a big deal. Um, and so do check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. And if you want to support what I'm doing, if you want to be a part of our online community, you know, we do regular audio calls, video calls. We chat throughout the day on, on the Discord server um, about all sorts of different things. Um, you can support what I'm doing at phildrysdale.com slash partner or patreon.com slash phildrysdale. Either one of those, a gift of five bucks a month will get you full access to everything and um, and really help me in, in paying the bills and, and being able to do this full time and, and not ever charging for anything I do. Um, it really does mean the world to me. Um, but more than anything, I'm here for you, whether you can give, whether you can, this resource, the podcasts, the videos, the, um, the, the chatting with people on Instagram, it will always be free. I'll always be available. I never give preferential treatment to people that support me or don't. Um, and so please, if you need to talk to someone, find me on Instagram. I'm just Phil Drysdale. Shoot me a DM. I'm happy to chat with you about what's going on, help you process uh, this really hard process of deconstruction. You're doing great. I'm proud of every one of you. I love every one of you. And I'll see you in the next episode. Peace.